Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the Paleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back, listeners. Um, if I have heard you correctly, you are super nutrient-dense up with <laughs> all kinds of broth and veggies. I have been loving seeing everybody's posts about how they are getting in more broth and vegetables. And Sarah, you've been tagged in a bunch, too, so I know you're seeing them. I am. I think it's so, like, this is one of the things that I love about podcasting is the like translation from like a podcast to like social media connection and then the translation from that to like live events and like meeting people but I I love the way that we can continue the conversation especially you know there's there's so many I don't I don't know if it's like just a stereotype or if it's the like the podcasts that I listen to that are like podcast Twitter people and neither of I, I mean, we, we both have Twitter accounts, but like, that's not for me, that's certainly not my primary way of connecting with people. I think primary is probably, um, Instagram and then Facebook is a very, very close second. And, um, and so it's, it's kind of a neat, like different way than they continue their conversation. Cause they continue their conversation in what, 280 characters. Now we get to continue our conversation in this like super detailed way where we get to share photos and stuff. And I think it's really, really fun. But I, I it's one of the things I just love about this particular medium for connecting with people is that it, it has this like spillover into social media where we get to continue the conversation and, and uh, I love it. I love it. I love it so much. I agree. I also happen to think that we just have awesome listeners and I just love them so much. And the fact that us talking about eight servings of vegetables, I didn't get one person who cursed us out. (laughs) (laughs) I got so many people saying that, you know, they're motivated to try to get more in. And I think that that's amazing. That's all we could ask for is like, nobody's perfect, especially not me. And so I love being able to motivate each other through whatever medium it is. So thank you so much to everybody who's reached out to us and um, are starting their 2018 off with lots of nutrients and and healthy stuff. I will say um, one of the things that I've been hearing a lot about that kind of influenced my request this week is my focus on souping and bone broth. And there are a lot of people who it also kind of ignited the realization that they could include more broth in their life or that they wanted to. And so they've, I've been seeing a bunch of people, you know, making broth and stock and all kinds of stuff with, um, bone broth, bones, essentially. There's a whole nuance to that, which is not what today's show is all about. But um, what I, you know, thought was interesting is that to 
to me, the reason I, I get asked a lot, like, why is that such a big deal for me? And there's twofold. One, I have an autoimmune condition, which we've actually discussed in detail on the show before. And Matt can put a link in the show notes to my um, IgA deficiency. And that in particular is really helpful for me to have the bone broth to help heal my gut, which is particularly um, susceptible. And then two, um, I have a lot of joint pain. I have arthritis that runs in my family. And um, my grandmother started taking medication for her arthritis about the age that I am now. And it just progressively got worse um, as she got older with multiple joint replacements and that kind of stuff. And so... So I started experiencing my own joint pain probably my early 20s. I know that when I was pregnant with Cole, I had a lot of um, a lot of joint pain, and I remember it before that. Even as a teen, I would pop my joints, um, and that is kind of like the onset of. Um, where I, I mean, I've just known my whole life that I just haven't had great joints. I'm making one of those faces right now that you can't see. <sighs> you, you know, the face of being around a person who's popping their joints, yeah. I'm making that face. Yes. It's like slightly disgusted and alarmed that face right now. Well, that's, so that's me. And <laughs> it's not just like, it's not just, just my fingers. Um, I can pop or crack just about any joint. (laughs) And and I can, I can immediately tell when I am having issues because it starts becoming more of a problem. I start experiencing the, what feels like the need to relieve that tension in more joints and more often and that sort of thing. Right. Which is what spurred the, um, realization that I wasn't consuming enough broth to feel my best. So, um, given that I have had so many questions about both, you know, why I am taking soup. And then when I answer the question, the follow-up is like, well, why does it help joints? Um, I thought it would be good because we've talked about a couple of autoimmune issues on the show, but never really, um, rheumatoid arthritis or that whole family that we could maybe bridge all of that together and talk a little bit about what is another very common, um, autoimmune, um, goodness gracious. I was going to call it disorder. And then I was like, well, that that doesn't sound right. No, they're all, they're all, they're all appropriate terms. Um, I mean, rheumatoid arthritis is one of the most common autoimmune diseases. It affects something like one and a half million adults uh, in America. And it's also not only is it frequently comorbid with other diseases, which means uh, rheumatoid arthritis and another autoimmune disease happen at the same time, um, but joint issues in general tend to be fairly common symptoms for autoimmune diseases. So, for example... I was diagnosed with uh, what the doctors called early rheumatoid arthritis when I was uh, 28. I think I was 28. Might have been 27, but it's give or take a year, 28 years old. And, um, you know, they, they literally said, but don't worry, it won't be debilitating for at least another 10 years, which when you're 28 and you think about debilitating arthritis at 38, it's like not, it's not comforting knowledge right there. Like that's, you mean I have 10 years of... Nobody like, wants that. Right. 
Um, and it may or may not have actually been rheumatoid arthritis. I was later diagnosed with fibromyalgia. So it may have been the joint inflammation that goes with fibro being sort of misdiagnosed as early arthritis. Um, so I don't typically count rheumatoid arthritis in my list of autoimmune diseases just because it was never confirmed. Um, and I it's certainly the blood work now, I mean, I've done the blood work after being on the autoimmune protocol for years, so who knows, but the blood work now is, is uh, negative for rheumatoid arthritis. But I think it's, it's an interesting, there's this interesting correlation between autoimmune disease and joint inflammation. And in part, that's because, um, all autoimmune diseases have systemic inflammation as, as part of what's driving the symptoms. And what's really unique about joint tissue is they don't have a ton of blood flow. So one of the things that happens in this also, right, this is also something that happens in the spine. In tissues that don't have a ton of blood flow, resolving inflammation is actually really challenging because we don't have this way of sort of flushing things out. We can't flush the area with nutrients very easily. Um, that affects healing time. So that's one of the reasons why uh, spinal conditions heal so slowly. Um, it's one of the reasons why um, joint conditions or, um, you know, improving joint symptoms in something like arthritis is, is a fairly slow process. And it's just because it's hard to get nutrients into those areas and it's hard to sort of flush out the inflammatory stimuli. So it's um, even as we're making changes, we're getting more sleep, we're, um, you know, getting movement throughout the day, we're reducing stress, we're following the autoimmune protocol, we've got the nutrient density dialed in. Uh, joint symptoms can be relatively slow to resolve just because it, it's, a, it's a much slower area in terms of, of healing. But that doesn't mean that the efforts are not worthwhile because one of the things that's happening in rheumatoid arthritis is um, there's basically inflammation – uh, there's inflammation in all forms of arthritis in the joints. In rheumatoid arthritis, it's an autoimmune disease. So that inflammation is sourced by a targeted attack of the immune system on joint tissues. And over time, um, you end up having this complete erosion of the bone around the joints and the cartilage in the joints. And so you end up getting these these joints that are, uh, they stiffen up, they get very gritty, they don't, they don't move very easily. Um, and as they start to stiffen because they're, they're just not moving well, um, by the way, that's intensely painful. Um, but as they stiffen up, you end up with, you can end up with sort of deformed uh, joints. You can end up with uh, joints that can't uh, bend, don't have the same range of motion that they used to. Um, you can have um, freezing of the joints so they don't bend at all. And it's, it's all from this sort of degradation of tissue. So the sooner that you can intervene with diet changes and lifestyle changes, um, the more likely you are to be able to reverse a lot of that damage. And I've talked with people at uh, events who, you know, had crippling rheumatoid arthritis and are like showing me their amazing range of motion in their their hands and their wrists and their arms and pictures, you know, before pictures of this, is what my hand looked like a year ago. And this is what the autoimmune protocol has done for me. There's uh, even though there isn't a clinical trial yet, um, there, there may be one in the next couple of years. There's some, there's some talk, but right now there's not one in rheumatoid arthritis and the autoimmune protocol. The number of anecdotal stories is really, really high. And the mechanisms that we understand is really, really solid. So we know that rheumatoid arthritis is a condition 
that um, responds really, really well to uh, things that help regulate the immune system. And it's one of the reasons why disease-modifying drugs are a first course of treatment in rheumatoid arthritis. They're not effective for uh, all autoimmune diseases, but they're very effective in RA because, um, you know, even though these are not great drugs to be on, they increase your lifelong risk of cancer, they come with tons of horrible side effects, most of them increase leaky gut or have other problems like liver and kidney toxicity, like it's not great to be on those drugs, it's much better to be able to figure out diet and lifestyle intervention um, and uh, work with a functional medicine specialist with who will provide different options compared to things like methotrexate, which is a, uh, you know, first line treatment for rheumatoid arthritis. But uh, the reason why those those big hammer immune suppressors work is because when you can reduce inflammation, you can stop this degradation and, and potentially provide the opportunity to rebuild joint tissues. And it's one of the reasons why uh, nutrient density especially becomes so important because this is a, a specific autoimmune disease in which you're trying to rebuild damaged tissue. And it's not necessarily the case in all autoimmune diseases at sort of that macro level. You know, all, if any autoimmune disease is going to impact cellular health, but if you're talking about one cell regenerating, that's sort of different than regenerating all of the cartilage in a joint, right? That's a, that's a much bigger task for the body to accomplish. So to get back to, you know, Stacey's original point, is like, why is broth so great for joint health? It's really because the uh, amino acids that are dissolved into broth, and we're really getting the same amino acids from a collagen supplement like vital proteins, collagen peptides, um, but those amino acids are the raw materials that cartilage is made up of. So uh, cartilage is a type of connective tissue. It's very, very high in glycine, but it also has some uh, glutamine, some proline, some arginine, right? All of the amino acids that are particularly rich in uh, anything from collagen. So, so bone broth, where we're, we're dissolving bone and joint tissue into the liquid, or a collagen supplement like collagen peptides. But what's really interesting about making that statement is, you know, there's a variety of studies that have looked at specific nutrients in rheumatoid arthritis. And I can summarize those um, in this podcast because I think it's probably very relevant for, for people listening. Um, but to, to keep this initial focus on broth, uh, the one, you know, the major amino acid in broth is glycine. Like that is the number one, it's the, the most abundant amino acid in broth. And it's one of the reasons why broth is recommended on the autoimmune protocol, it's why broth has such amazing healing effects because glycine is a critical component of uh, bone, skin, and all connective tissue, including joint tissue, cartilage. And uh, it's an amino acid that even though it's not essential, it's called, it's called conditionally indispensable. So it means that we can make it, but we probably don't like if we don't get it from diet, we can't actually make enough to meet our needs. So we do need it from diet, even though technically we can make it. That's that's what that classification means. And um, most of us are deficient because the richest sources of glycine are foods that have sort of fallen 
out of favor with a standard American diet. So for example, uh, fish is very high in glycine. Bone broth is very high in glycine. Um, organ meats are very high in glycine. And, you know, things that really the average American is not eating very much of anymore. And so what's interesting about glycine is uh, beyond being this critical component of uh, joint tissue and, and, and pretty much, you know, all tissues in the body because it's part of connective tissue. It's also a very important amino acid for immune function. And it has this overall effect of being anti-inflammatory and helping the immune system regulate itself. So it's very, very important for immune regulation in general. So in rheumatoid arthritis, glycine has this like double whammy effect of being a building material for uh, joint tissue, but also being just anti-inflammatory by itself. And even though the studies looking at other nutrients in rheumatoid arthritis are much more rigorous and there's human studies, there are some animal studies looking at glycine in uh, models of arthritis showing that it reduces inflammation and reduces symptoms of, of arthritis. So there is that sort of bit of science backing it up. But I think it's really important to sort of expand this little bit of scientific background on uh, the nutritional links with rheumatoid arthritis uh, to some of the nutrients that have been much better studied in rheumatoid arthritis. So we know, for example, vitamin D deficiency is very, very strongly linked to, I mean, chronic disease in general, but rheumatoid arthritis among them. So uh, getting vitamin D levels checked and supplementing with vitamin D accordingly and getting rechecked, so monitoring, checking about every three to four months and making sure vitamin D levels stay in that sort of 40 to 80 range, um, 50 to 80 range is, is really good. Um, I personally try to keep mine between 50 and 60. Um, Omega-3s, so fish oil has been used as a, as a supplement in a variety of, of RA studies and shown that not only does it help sort of reduce symptoms, but it's really important for pain control. So um, uh, rheumatoid arthritis pain goes down quite dramatically with fish oil supplementation. And we've talked about it on the show before. We definitely recommend getting omega-3s from whole foods. So it means eating whole fish and shellfish. Um, but it's really important that balancing omega-3s and omega-6s is super, super important for rheumatoid arthritis. And then there's a variety of antioxidant nutrients that have been studied. Vitamin E probably the most, um, but also some uh, phytochemicals, uh, like carotenoids, which are vitamin A precursors, like lycopene and also vitamin C have been studied as supplements for uh, rheumatoid arthritis and shown to be either protective or reduce symptoms. And those are all things that we get from eating a variety of vegetables and fruits. And so you can kind of hear in this like vitamin D status, seafood, lots of vegetables and fruit, like those are key tenets of the um, autoimmune protocol, because those things are not just important for joint health, but they're important for um, immune health as well. Uh, sleep is phenomenally important well, okay. for people with RA. Before yeah. we jump into sleep. I oh, just sorry. Like, Let's go. Uh, lifestyle in a second. Got it. Take a breather. I just want to say how excited I am that I just had fish deep fried in vitamin rich D lard for dinner. <laughs> After you've talked about all of this, I'm like, oh. Yeah. That sounds yummy. It was really good. Yeah, that's good. I, I really need to make it over to your house for dinner more often. You know. If only, if only it wasn't a 14-hour drive. If only. <laughs> it's probably less long well, as a flight. Um, I'll, plan for, I'll plan for dinner tomorrow. I would say, too, I mean, I think it becomes a little overwhelming when we talk about 
all of kind of the the dietary components that go into into it. So from a a practical perspective, let's just kind of give a, a punch list here. There's a couple of foods that I've come to um, try to incorporate that I find give me the most bang for my buck. And, um, oysters are one, you can get them fresh. You can get them, um, I like Sarah, them just smoked in the I was pan. I going to say Sarah likes to eat that. I couldn't even get it oh. out of my mouth because I was thinking they're, about they're how much super, I dislike them. Super cheap. They're yes. super cheap. And I think they're tasty. Um, I know not everyone likes oysters. It's it's that's right, uh, but they're you either love them or the opposite of that. So not only do they have some of the things that you've talked about, but they also have their high in zinc and a couple other copper, um, selenium, yeah, all the all the um, minerals that are I find more difficult to find, and so they're just they're really good food for me to cover that. Um, making my own broth is really beneficial and you can put it in just about anything like if you don't like soup that's fine but there are a bajillion recipes and ways to consume broth on the internet from sauces to i think we even have like a smoothie recipe on this site right, right? can i give you one of my like broth adding broth tips just to throw this in here so this is a new thing i probably started a year ago but I have a couple of different recipes that I do probably once a week that are ground beef centered recipes. So like tacos, taco beef, or uh, my Thai beef lettuce wrap recipe that's on my website. And what I've started doing is literally adding four, five, six cups of broth and maybe even some extra gelatin to the beef after it's browned when I'm adding the seasoning. And then I let it simmer down until um, until the pan's basically dry. Like there's, uh, you know, it's with ground beef, there's always some fat. So the pan never goes completely dry. Um, but all of those nutrients are still in there. What, what, you know, simmers away, you know, evaporates away is just the water content in the broth and it thickens. So you don't have to do like a arrowroot starch and water to thicken it at the end. Like the, the gelatin kind of gives it that similar sort of mouthfeel and that similar sort of thickness. Meanwhile, having tons and tons of nutrition and it's like a like a super easy way for me to sneak broth into my like my my family has no idea that they're getting you know a, a good cup of broth each right and and every serving because of of doing that so that's like my new favorite trick i like that idea we do we do like a concentrated broth and a bunch of different things as well the boys don't have any problem with the idea of broth, but they don't like soup. So we will cook things in it too. Like our tomato sauce has broth. We use that on a lot of things. Um, and cooking rice in broth instead of water, basically any, you know, anything you can think of to replace a fluid broth will add, um, a, a good, unctuous mouthfeel and umami if you've made it properly. Um, my boys really like egg drop soup and they'll eat that for breakfast. Um, so it might not be that they want soup for dinner cause they want something more satiating, but you can always do it at a different time. Anyway, I think that there are some things. So another, uh, couple other foods that are good bangs for your buck. Salmon is another cause it's a uh, fatty fish. So it's higher higher in omega-3 um 
And I find that canned salmon is really cheap. There's also like salmon burgers at Trader Joe's and Costco that are relatively clean ingredients um, that my kids will eat if I slather enough like avocado oil mayonnaise on top. (laughs) (laughs) I just think there's a lot of different things you can think outside the box to get bang for your buck and just make a list of like five or 10 things that you know are super nutrient dense that you don't mind eating or that you can figure out how to incorporate into your family's lives and then just start rotating them more often. And it could be something like we make those chocolate, uh, gummies they're hot chocolate with um collagen right like there's all different kinds where where you are in your paleo journey different flavors for whatever your taste might be that can allow you to put this stuff in your diet i i want to add um i'm gonna i'm gonna pronounce it the american way avocados do i say it right (laughs) no i mean just like it's so it's so cute how hard you're trying (laughs) i i add that fatty fruit that's green on the inside and has the giant pit. I want to add that to your list. Um, It's really high in a lot of the antioxidant phytochemicals that have been shown to be so beneficial for rheumatoid arthritis. Um, The fats, you know, like it's omega-3s that are really specifically important for rheumatoid arthritis, but the fats in avocado are, it's really high in oleic acid, which is an anti-inflammatory fat that's known to reduce risk of cardiovascular disease. So even though it's not like directly linked with RA, it's still a very, very beneficial uh, plant food to get. But it's one of the top food sources, for example, of vitamin E. It's an AIP-friendly food. And granted, this is not an AIP-friendly recipe. Um, it's amazing also in chocolate pudding form. It's like it's really deliciously wonderful thing. Um, not my kids don't like guacamole. I don't. My kids are weird. I don't understand why they don't like guacamole because they like like they like. Uh, I'm gonna say cilantro. I don't know. Again, I have no idea how I pronounce things. You did anymore. that. You did that one right. Okay, excellent. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't know what pronunciation is Canadian or American anymore. It's all just blurry to me. But I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to say trash and not garbage. That one I got down. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I mean, they they you know my kids my, my kids are still in that. They generally like sort of plain foods, not touching each other. They're still in that phase. But um, but avocado pudding has become. Oh, I said that Canadian didn't I? Didn't I? I did. I heard it. I heard it. I like it when it comes out. All right. Avocado pudding has become, um, I mean, not, it's not like a daily event in my house, but it's like a once a week event in my house. And uh, it's just, it's full of, it's super high in potassium. Like it's just full of, of, of great nutrients. And when you make um, avocado pudding, I make it with very, very little added sweetener. So it's, it's just sweet enough to feel like a dessert, but it's not super sweet. And about 90% of the bulk of that pudding is you know, this wonderful, super nutrient dense, you know, food. And then there's extra antioxidant phytochemicals added with cocoa powder and some melted chocolate. And, um, and that's, that's about it, right? A little bit of maple syrup to sweeten it. And that's, that's all all that I do. And it's become, um, a staple, a staple treat in my house, but also, you know, however, whether it's guacamole or just sliced uh, avocado in a, in a salad and see, I'm pronouncing it differently every time I say it. And I'm really super like hyper aware of that right now. And it's kind of weirding me out, but um, however you like it, I think that's another like kind of hit broth, oysters, fish. Let's, let's add avocados to the list and see, I said it a different way again. 
So, okay. We don't ha- I don't want to dwell on that anymore. I just know that it can feel really overwhelming, especially if someone's forwarded this to a loved one and they're hearing it for the first time. Like, I got to do what? I got to eat how much? I got to give up what? Um, and, it, you know, it's really do what you can in baby steps and focus on the things that are going to give you the most bang for your buck. Quick wins, we call them in business. <laughs> Is that, uh, so I think, um, you know, to me, in my head, they're like superfoods, right? It's like the joint health superfoods list. And I think when you when you sort of distill it that way and you're like, try to eat more of these five foods, I don't think it becomes that, like, uh, you know, we've talked on the show a lot about um, figuring out ways of uh, getting the most bang for our buck in terms of our day-to-day choices. And that doesn't always mean uh, strict paleo or strict autoimmune protocol. It means sort of understanding the reasons behind the various facets so that you can figure out like what are the things that are going to make me have, you know, like feel the as, you know, wonderful as I can for as easy of a, you know, first few steps. And you guys covered this really well in real life paleo with your, your phased approach. So I think what we're kind of talking about is this like weird combo between like, Phase one, cut out some really bad stuff. And phase three, let's have a little extra focus on some good stuff with kind of this sort of like weird blend between those those two ideas. But um, but I think that that distilling things to a um, here's here's some nutrients that are really important. I do want to sort of reiterate, though, that it is very, very difficult to address vitamin D deficiency with food. So even though lard is a great natural source or pastured lard anyways is a great natural source of vitamin d seafood is a great natural source of vitamin d if you are deficient and especially if you don't uh convert um vitamin d very easily so if you basically if your body's not really making it very well from sunlight which is a fairly large percentage of us um then it's it's basically you can't get to vitamin d sufficiency typically even with sunlight and food it really takes supplementation so that's like the one exception to the creating a superfood list for for joint health is when it comes to the importance of vitamin d in immune health and in in joint health um, and all of those things go together it's um really something that we need to test for see what our levels are at because just taking a supplement's not good if your levels aren't low like taking a supplement and driving your vitamin D levels too high is also a problem. Like that can also cause health issues. There's like this happy medium, wonderful window that we want to be in. But um, most, you know, 75% of Americans are low and it's, it's really, really hard, if not impossible to get those levels up without supplementation. Awesome. Lifestyle. Lifestyle. Um, So, I'm going to say something that we don't often say on this show because sleep less and drink more. I'm actually going to start even more basic than that. (laughs) If you smoke, don't. We don't often talk about things like tobacco use on the show because we're so focused on, we're, we're both in this place of like, diet and lifestyle refinement, right? We've been paleo for years. It's the way we live. Did you ever smoke, Stacey? 
I did smoke for quite a long time until I got pregnant with Cole. Yep. So I never did. Um, so it's not, um, it's not something I've ever had to, I've, I mean, my, my father did and I watched him quit many, many times. So I, I have that bit of the experience, but I don't have the experience of quitting myself. But I think we sometimes forget that, um, there's this, this like low hanging fruit in terms of, um, things that we can do for our health. And if you're, you know, trying to figure out all the diet stuff and you're trying to figure out sleep, which we'll talk about in a second, and you're trying to figure out stress management and you're still dealing with tobacco addiction, um, that's actually your first thing to tackle is, is quitting smoking. Like that's, that's number one, you know, I don't need to tell anybody who smokes that it's bad for them. Everybody knows the statistics of all the crazy diseases that it's going to increase their likelihood. Um, if it comes, when it comes to rheumatoid arthritis, it's increasing your likelihood 40 times. So like, that's, that's a lot. That's four zero times. It's, it's many, many, that's tons. So, um, so that's like just throwing that out there. If, if you're dealing with rheumatoid arthritis and you're looking, you're looking for relief, quitting smoking is probably the number one thing that you can do. And it's, um, certainly, you know, uh, it definitely is work and it's, it's an effort, but it is, um, going to for sure give you the best bang for your buck. And then you can start tinkering with all of the other stuff. But then I was going to talk about sleep. Um, sleep's really interesting because, uh, sleep, getting enough sleep, uh, increases our um, pain tolerance. So if we have had enough rest, we can actually tolerate much more pain than if we just got like a couple hours. Like it's literally like two hours less sleep, getting six hours sleep versus eight hours sleep dramatically increases your sensitivity to pain. Um, and so there's a, quite a few studies done uh, with sleep in rheumatoid arthritis showing that improving sleep reduces symptoms of course, this is one of those conditions in which it's like this weird loop because it's, you know, the main symptom is pain. The pain can keep you up and then you're not getting enough good sleep. So you feel more pain. So it becomes really, really important to dial in all of those other things that improve sleep, like being outside or being using a light therapy box during the day, keeping lights dim or wearing amber tinted glasses in the evening, going to bed at an early enough time that you can get eight hours sleep before your alarm goes off, having a regular bedtime and a regular sleep schedule so your body knows what time it's supposed to be preparing for sleep every single night, uh, not eating too close to bedtime, having some uh, starchy carbs with dinner, eating a high fiber diet during the day, not overdoing saturated fat during the day, all of those things can improve sleep quality. Um, ha having some kind of activity during the day, doesn't really matter what time of day, all of those things can improve sleep quality and hopefully can balance out um, some of the effects that rheumatoid arthritis can have on sleep. And if it's, if it's not, this is one of those situations where, you know, talk to a functional or integrative medicine practitioner about uh, supplement or medication options for improving sleep quality. Because once you can kind of get on top of the sleep quality, it becomes this you know, very positive cycle where it's it's the opposite of the negative cycle, right? You're getting good sleep, so your pain tolerance is high. Like you don't feel as much pain, so you continue to get good sleep and it reduces your inflammation, so you actually have fewer symptoms and it, it can really get things off on, on onto a good track. I would say I... Specifically, you mentioned not eating 
food too close to bedtime, I have to really watch caffeine and sugar consumption the second half of the day. So even if you feel like you're not eating within that two to four hour period before your bedtime, um, I do not have any caffeinated food or drinks after, um, like one o'clock. Like I used to really enjoy dark chocolate in the three to four o'clock hour, but I realized that it was actually affecting my sleep. Um, so I would say to just, you know, be aware, even if something as nuanced as that, that you're like, well, I'm not drinking coffee at 8 PM, like little things like that, if you're sensitive to it, um, could affect you as well. Uh, or black tea or green tea yeah, yeah. or even decaf decaf coffee still has a quarter the amount of caffeine as regular coffee it's not actually zero calf it's just less calf um and I, i'm glad you brought that up because um high coffee consumption is a separate risk factor for rheumatoid arthritis so um that there's not really a clear reason for that there seems there's a, some studies showing that uh, regular coffee consumption can increase inflammation, but it's that's certainly not um, consistent across the board because there's other studies that can show that it can reduce inflammation, reduce risk of disease. Um, but we also know that people who are regular coffee drinkers tend to have a more exaggerated response to stress. So they make more cortisol in response to something stressful in their lives. And that might be the key just because cortisol is such an important um, immune modulator. So that, that might be the mechanism. Um, but either way, you know, drinking a lot of coffee is not, is, I mean, it's just not, it's not awesome. I'm with you there. Um, so I think other than, so one of the other questions or topics that I'd like to maybe, finalize that's a little more if you've done a lot of this stuff if you've done AMP already and you're trying to figure out like well what are the next things that I could do to maybe help obviously talking to a medical professional neither one of us are um, <clears throat> but one of the things that I have noticed since my back injury which obviously makes me more aware of joint pain because that pain um, when it onsets is very acute um, one of the things that I notice helps almost immediately within 24 hours is the vital proteins type 2 collagen pill. And I say this with such hesitation because I do not like to say that there's anything that's a magic pill or that will make something better. I don't like to sell particular products or tell you that there's, you know, one thing that I recommend. But in my personal N equals one experience, um, I have had three flares in, let's say, the last year. And each time I start to have one of them, and for example, after the holiday break, I had two weeks off and I went back to work on Monday and I sat in a chair all day long for the first time in two weeks. And at three o'clock, I had to stop work because the pain was too great for me to focus. And I was like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get in a more comfortable environment and then I'll work there. I took the Vital Proteins Type 2 collagen pills that evening and the following morning. And by the next day... And the next day, my pain had dissipated. Now, my body is also obviously adjusting a little bit. But in a previous scenario, that could have caused a huge acute flare that would have taken a week of rest to recover from. So 
I I know, Sarah, you've covered the difference of the type two collagen and um, we can, again, put a link in the show notes to that show in particular, where we talked about uh, my back injury and some of the things that I was doing to recover from it. But I do think that it's worth someone looking into if they really do have a lot of joint pain. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, in the interest of time, we can link to that show because a lot of the things that we're talking about in that show that were sort of specific to spinal health, a lot of that is very translatable to joint health, right? A lot of it was more talking about the joint, right? It's like the spine is kind of a giant sequence of joints in many ways, right? Because it's it's got the you know, collagen in between and it's, it's a very mobile bone structure. So, um, you know, all of that information is very translatable to joint health in general. Awesome. So, and it's, it's not the same kind of collagen that you get in the powder or the liver pills or the whatever. Like, that's, that's the only source I'm aware of, and it's the one that I've been using. So um, I am not uh, – this is not sponsored in any sort of way. It's just this is what well, works for me. Phytoproteins really does make uh, great quality stuff, and we're not getting paid to say that. Um but, you know, it really is true. And that's why we we both have become, over the years, such fans of so many of their products. All right. Well, I hope that this has been helpful in not just sharing about the joint pain uh, or, you know, arthritis and all that kind of stuff, but also um, answering a lot of the questions that we've both been uh, receiving on the topic and um paying some love to some of our other autoimmune warriors. I know we've talked talked about different ones on the show, so we just got to make our way through eventually. But ultimately, the answer looks very similar for all of them. That's why Sarah has written so much on the autoimmune protocol, both with removing the things that are inflammatory as well as adding the things into your diet that are helpful and lifestyle factors because it makes such a difference to add those things to your life. Um, if you're at a point where you're just starting, Real Life Paleo, as Sarah mentioned, is a, a really good place to ease in that transition. If you're looking for more detailed information on the science of autoimmune and all that kind of stuff, Sarah's book, The Paleo Approach, is the in-depth one-stop shop on that. Um, and, and then, of course, general paleo principles um, would be found in her paleo principles book. So, there you go, a little infomercial from us for us. Um, we appreciate you shopping on our blogs and supporting us with our books and different endeavors because it's what allows us to continue to come back here and talk to you week after week, and we enjoy that so much. And we appreciate your support of the podcast and of us so that we can continue to do this. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. You were there. Skype was showing you as offline, and I was just trying you just to see if Skype was being stupid. And it was. Well, I mean, it's doing what I told it to do, which is make me incognito. So I don't think we should go calling it names. I apologize, Skype. <laughs> we don't want it to, like, have some sort of internal robot that starts <laughs> giving us... Too late.
It's already it's already on its way. We were talking about another system, not Uscape. Yeah, no, I totally meant Google Hangouts. <laughs> Google Hangouts is stupid. Skype is awesome. I just I love Skype. It's like my favorite thing. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. <laughs>